Coming up on the show, we are talking about saying yes to the right things and saying no to the wrong things, and how do we know when to say what, and most importantly, how to empower ourselves to do just that. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Second Breaks Podcast, the weekly show where we explore what it really takes to make a move in today's crazy world. And we talk about making a move in this podcast because it's important. The world we live in today is changing so fast. And the last thing we want to do is to get trapped and stuck where we don't want to be anymore. And most importantly, I know you. I know that you want to make an impact in your corner of the world. You want to make the dent that you want to make to paraphrase Steve Jobs, whatever kind of dent that is. And you can't do that if you are feeling stuck. And so that's why we talk about making your move on this podcast. And speaking of making the impact that you want to make, my guest today, Maya Sharfi, is doing exactly that by creating a career path that is uniquely hers. And that is why I loved her story. And that was what I was so amazed with when I was listening to her talk about her story. It's just how she was able to create a path that is that is hers, that is truly uniquely hers, combining all the things that are important to her and her interests. Maya is a former landscape designer who now runs two businesses, a women's creative career coaching company where her goal is to reduce the gender pay gap and a social impact design consultancy. What I found most interesting in talking with her and listening to her story is how she was able to combine her interests so that instead of eschewing one for another to make a living, she found a way to connect her priorities, the things that are important to her, uh, with a common through line, as she calls it. In this episode, we talk about how exactly she was able to do that. So if you're someone who has maybe multiple seemingly disconnected ideas or interests, you really want to listen to her story. We also talk about prioritization because especially if you're trying to do a lot of different things, this is very important, right? Making the time to do the things that you want to do. And of course, we talk about empowerment, giving yourself the permission to do the things that you want to do, saying yes to the right things, saying no to the wrong things. And often that starts with catching yourself when you're about to limit your opportunities by responding the wrong way. Before we get going with my chat with Maya, I just want to remind you that today's show notes are at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 61. You will find all the links to the things that we talk about plus additional information on today's show on that page, not to mention links to other resources for your career move. Speaking of resources, do check out the workshop that I'm hosting on September 13th. This workshop is all about developing your long-term career vision, your big picture, as I like to refer to it. Now, if you've ever tried to come up with a vision and felt sort of like wanting to pull your hair out, felt frustrated, or maybe underwhelmed by what you came up with, like it sounded like something your boss might like you to say, or what your parents might want you to say, or something that you think people, other people, 
are expecting you to say, this is the workshop that you want to check out. Now, heads up, this is a hands-on, roll-up-your-sleeve workshop. This is not me talking, talking, talking. This is you working uh, on the process to developing a vision so that by the end of the workshop, you're going to be walking away with a meaningful vision, with a meaningful big picture that matters to you. The link to get the details for that workshop is on the show notes. And again, that's at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 61. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. Maya, welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Lou. Just to kind of put things in context, because I know you have two careers or two businesses that you are uh, running today. So would you mind, maybe we could start there, talk a little bit about each one, just to kind of give context to the rest of our conversation. Sure. Yeah. So I run, I, I, I run two companies. Um, they're actually more connected than one might think. Uh, and I'm sure our conversation will get into that, but I run a small design consultancy focused on place-based work. Um, so cities and, um, public space, um, with a focus on social impact. So I used to be a landscape architect and, um, so the projects that I work on are oftentimes related to issues of place. Um, so I work a lot on open space issues and I work a lot on, um, on, I have a, I have a, I do a lot in the affordable housing industry. Um, so the kind of through line in, in the design consulting work that I do is a focus on social impact and a focus on place. And then I also run a, um, I run a women's empowerment training company. I focus on career development for women, both women who are business owners and women who work for others. Um, and I train them in how to have the careers they want and how to get more powerful and lean in in those careers. So obviously the, the, um, the one where you work with women, obviously that's uh, you work with women individually, right? One-on-one or in a group setting. The, the other one, the consultancy, is it, do you work with businesses like companies who are looking to rearrange their uh, office spaces? Yeah. Well, so I tend to work with uh, with um, organizations and I tend to work in the uh, nonprofit world. So one of my clients was the um, was Friends of the Highline. They were working on um, so they were getting uh, a lot of requests from cities around uh, the country who wanted to create projects and parks like that. And they were looking for help of how do we make this happen? How do we make this a reality? So I worked with them to create a vision for how a new network would work of like-minded projects. So it would be easier for these, you know, dynamic, multi-layered, highly programmed um, parks to happen across the country. How cool is, how did you get into this? Well, you said your background is interior design. Did you say that? So, uh, landscape, landscape architecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Landscape architecture. How did you get into these businesses? <laughs> okay, well, so, so yeah, why don't I tell you, why don't I take you through how, I got into first landscape architecture, um, and then how I pivoted. I think I'm I'm, a, I'm maybe a multi pivot. <laughs> maybe a lot of your listeners will, will will hear themselves, especially the ones who have a lot of creative interests, will hear themselves in my story. I um, started out. I mean, way back in in college, I would say that I was always interested in both art and science. Um, I found myself having a hard time choosing between geology on one hand. And then I was studying, you know, I was interested in studying urban studies and I was like, Ooh, but I love anthropology. And, you know, so, so what do I do? 
And I found, um, it, it's actually kind of interesting, um, I think for, for listeners of yours who their plan A doesn't work out, sometimes it's better. Um, but I'd also been creative and I was making clothes when I was in high school and was really interested in fashion. And I had always wanted to take a class at the local design school um, and you could cross register. And so in my last semester, I realized that I had to hustle and you know get myself in that class because I'd always said I wanted to. So I tried to get into a fashion design class and they were super snooty and they basically said like, oh, liberal arts students can't hang in our classes. You know, sorry, we can't let you in. So I was pretty bummed and I'd been taken, I'd, I'd been majoring in urban studies. And so I decided that I would take a landscape architecture studio at the art school instead. And I just fell in love with it because it was this creative way of synthesizing the way people use spaces and build communities. And then also this ecology side. And, you know, because two, like one synthetic career is not enough. Um, <laughs> I had always been interested in social change. I'd been always, I'd been actually working on um, women's issues, you know, I, like basically from like middle school and on, it was just part of how I was raised. Um, and, you know, thinking about issues of race. And um, so I kind of had this idea that at some point later on in my career, I would, you know, I would get the design skills and I would work as a designer, but because I love that way of working, I would find ways to apply those ways of working to social issues. And I didn't know what it was going to look like, but that was kind of my, my North star. So I moved out to California and got a job at a architecture firm doing administrative assistance and kind of like marketing help. And while I was there out of the blue one day, a um, job description came like, you know, came through my, my email and it was for this organization called public architecture, which was basically trying to do what I wanted to do, which was to use design skills to serve public interest. And, you know, they were looking for an admin assistant and I was like, oh my God, I don't have to invent it. It exists already. So I went over, I got the job um, and both the good and the bad, because I, I know for um, many of your listeners, the recession might've played a role in their, their career development. I, the recession kicked in pretty soon after I started working there. I was the lowest paid person. So while we, you know, people, I wouldn't say that anyone ever got pushed out, but as people left, we didn't replace people who were kind of in that middle. So at the, at the end of the day, it was me and then senior leadership, me supporting them. So I got to learn how to do all kinds of really interesting things. And I got to like, there were all kinds of opportunities that came my way. And it was an amazing training. And, you know, the, the, the people who I met there are still a big part of my network. Um, and then I decided, okay, but I, I, if I'm going to get these design skills, I need to go to grad school. So I got my master's in landscape architecture. And right after I graduated, I kind of went through this, I, I knew deep down inside that I probably wanted to take some like risks later on in life. And I, I have to say, especially around financial sustainability, I was definitely kind of risk averse. So I decided to take the first six months before my loans kicked in to freelance a little bit. Um, and I, you know, so I was freelancing, I was working on a couple of creative projects. Um, I ended up almost working full time at a landscape firm. Um, and then I got laid off from my firm and was just kind of in this moment where I realized, you know, I had this North star of what I ultimately wanted to do with my design skills, which is to do socially impactful work. Here I am working part time, but doing, you know, at that point I was still kind of freelancing. I was running a research collaborative with some friends on social impact design business models. I was running a pop-up dinner club with my partner at the time. I was, I'd actually started 
started this empowerment boot camp. It was this season of pitching in my life, and I pitched it to the the dean of students that I run a. I take my previous training in women's empowerment and run a course for women in the design school. And I was doing all these things, and I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to like. Why don't I not wait till some future date when I feel like I have all the experience? I'm kind of doing it now. Let me just do it now. And so I, I. I actually, when I first started out, I was doing a million things and my design consultancy and my um, speaker series were only two of them. And it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy phase. Um, I learned a lot from that phase. It wasn't a phase to be in for the long term, but, but um, yeah, that was kind of my moment of, of making the big jump. So that yeah. is so amazing. When I was um, listening to you talk about what you were passionate about, what you wanted to do, they were very specific. And one might say, "How?" Like I was listening to you, going, "How is she going to combine <laughs> all those interests right into one?" And look, you were able to create it. So sometimes we start with what other people think we should do. So we look for you know existing career paths, and we try to fit ourselves into them. And it's not to say that that, that 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 isn't a good starting place, but I think sometimes we surrender what's interesting and complex about ourselves just to fit in those boxes. And I find that it is a lot more helpful to start with what drives you, what you're interested in, what you, you know, and, and if you're, you know, you don't just start by saying, okay, I like A, B, and C, but you start by looking at what you've done in the past and what are those common themes that have come up over and over again. And then you start from that and you say, okay, well, what boxes or careers or, you know, needs to serve if I'm going to be a business owner fit that. And, you know, I won't be able to shove everything into this box, but how do I get the majority of it in? And then once I'm in it, can I find a way to evolve it and, and tweak it so that I can get more of what I want? Exactly. Exactly. That's perfect. Well, the other thought that was running in my mind as you were talking about your, you know, your, your story was that how the heck are you able to fit this all in, in the same 24 hours? It's like, how do you do it? And how do you balance your priorities? And how do you not get spread too thin? So I would say that if I look back on my career trajectory, there were kind of two big phases. So phase number one was being able to take that jump and kind of you know, that phase of, of experimenting and running too many things. And, you know, just to, it was a moment where I learned a lot of what I know how to do now. It was that season of pitching. It was, um, which is so important to what I do today when I, when I do sales for my, my companies, um, you know, it was a, it was a, like I put together my first website. I, there were so many things I learned, but it was also not sustainable. And I remember my, um, so my accountant at the time, uh, was, uh, is, is a family friend. And I remember he told my mom and I, like, it got back to me. He's like, you know, I don't understand how Maya can be doing so much, but making so little. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the money side, but I think it was also on the time side, right? Because in some ways our time is probably even, even more of a precious resource. So I, I realized that I needed to find more focus and kind of s- like streamline things down. And so for anyone in your audience who is um, multi-passionate, maybe they'll identify the idea of shutting things down really freaked me out because it felt like an identity thing. Um, and so what I decided to do, and this is a process I went through cycle after cycle until I slowly streamlined it. And this is the way I had to do it because I it, I couldn't have just like cut stuff off, but I would I would 
first start by voicing out loud to someone, you know, I love running the speaker series, but I'm not sure that it's serving my business needs, right? I'm not sure that there's a long-term potential in it. And I would just admit that. And then I'd be like, you know, I want to think about how I might be able to lower the volume on this or maybe hand it over. And then, I, so I would slowly kind of voice the, the, the thing and then I would come up with a plan. So I have a volunteer that I'm working with. She really loves the speaker series. Does she want to take it over? So, you know, or, or, and sometimes it would be like, maybe this, you know, running this, this research effort, after this last phase of case studies, I think I may want to retire this. So let's, and so it was just kind of slowly like finding pause points or endpoints. And I kind of got to the point after I, after I did this, where I had two things left, I had my design consultancy, and then I had my women's empowerment workshop. And over and over, I found that it was just the one thing that I found, the, the empowerment workshop was the thing that I didn't want to kind of scale down because maybe there was something still in it for me. And so I decided to take some time to figure it out. And I really, I, I, I started to look at what were the commonalities and what drove me. Um, I did this exercise that actually I, I want to offer to your, um, to your readers. Um, they can download, I'll, I'll, I'll share a, um, a link. Um, I put together a special link for them. Uh, buildyourselfworkshop.com backslash second breaks, and they can down, they can download this exercise as well. But I did an exercise where I looked at what were the commonalities um, in all of the things that I'd been doing that drove me. And I found that there were a couple of very, very clear commonalities. And one was that I was really, really interested in issues of equity that was coming up for me all, all the time. Um, being able to make sense of things through like through visualization. So to make really complicated things simple through visualization was a big part of my process and what I love to do. And then the third thing was an emphasis on community building. So I started to say, okay, if this is going to stick around, if these two things are going to stick around, how, even if they're, they're, they're serving different clients um, and are different modes of working, how do they feel like they're coming from the same root, which is what, you know, you and I were talking about earlier. Okay. Well, they need to be driven by those same through lines. So I started to say, okay, well, equity, you know, equity, that's so, so clear that that's why I do my women's empowerment workshop. You know, I want to, I want to eradicate the pay gap. I want to get women doing the things that they want to do and not feeling held back by, you know, their inner critics or, you know, unconscious bias that they're facing. But that's not, I'd work on social impact on my um, design consultancy, but can I, can I turn up the volume on it? So I started looking for opportunities to, to really emphasize equity in everything I was doing. So I was working with the Highline Network and um, working on finding ways to make those projects um, vectors of greater equity for the people who are already in neighborhoods that are low-income residents was something that was coming up for their their members over and over again. So, um, you know, I was like, okay, well, when I'm doing this vision, one of the things I can spend more time on is on the equitable strategies framework. That is something that seems to be emerging in this vision. So I put more more emphasis on that. And then I was working for another client that runs a fellowship program, and they were going into recruiting season. And I saw, and they'd been working on issues of equity in general, and I saw an opportunity to run a, um, a thought leadership campaign on affordable housing and issue and design and issues of race. And so I said, let's do a summer series on this. And, you know, we'll see it as part of our recruitment platform. And we were able to not just put out, you know, good thought leadership, but, um, you know, it increased the, uh, 
percentage of candidates of color to their fellowship by 12% and it increased black candidates by 200%. And even though these projects didn't have official mandates to work on issues of equity, I would spot opportunities that would add value for my clients and then I would propose them and then we would go forward with them. And it helped me start building out a body of work around equity. And that in turn started to attract equity oriented projects to me. So then I was kind of in the same mental context text for both of my businesses. And I started to feel less stressed. Um, I feel like it's actually helped um, with my niching and my reputation because now people associate me with these issues. So looking back, how long did it take you to pivot? Maybe that's not the right word, but like really, you know, narrow down to that message. Yeah, well, it was around this time last year, maybe like late spring. I think I was in the shower, which is or like on a walk, which is where all ahas happen. And it was just I'd been thinking about how do I streamline? How do I streamline? And all of a sudden I was like equity. Equity, right? Like e- equity and in my head popped the idea of this um this summer series um and I think I'd been working on the equity strategies for the Highline network a little bit earlier. So sometimes, I guess one of the things I want to say is I think sometimes we think about breakthroughs and ahas as being about, you know, first, for, or maybe not breakthroughs, but first I did my through lines, then I came to this conclusion, then this, you know, but especially for people who might be creatively in, inspired or who are right brain thinkers, or maybe who are a mix of right brain and left brain, I find that you have to do the work to get your mind ready to kind of accept that breakthrough it's almost like you open your eyes so then you can see it when it ha- it comes in front of you. And in that moment, it was the breakthrough moment, but it had actually been, I was laying the groundwork by doing the through lines exercise by, you know, like following through those interests. And so it, I would say the explicit decision happened around this time last year. And now, you know, I'm getting invited into projects and, um, you know, even speaking for Build Yourself for my my coaching work with women that is totally aligned with that through line. Gotcha. So. Super. Practically speaking, do you do you actively work on on both businesses every week or like? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Right. You do. Okay. Gotcha. So, so right, because I, you know, in some ways, it's like, okay, what are the practical strategies? So, uh, the biggest thing that I did that I think I could suggest also to your readers is, I got really, really clear on what drove each of my businesses. Um, so for my coaching business, what drives my business, my business is connecting to great coaching clients who I can work with, who are in some kind of career transition or know that they could be playing bigger and then inviting them to my, to my program and then also growing my audience, um, through. And so, uh, it makes, it makes it really clear that these are the things that I have to do. And there's all kinds of stuff that other people tell me I need to do. Like, um, I don't know, run, you know, have a social media presence or um, like go to these 17 conferences or get on this webinar. And those things are nice to have, but they're not need to have. And then on my consultancy, oh, and then of course, like doing the work. So working with my coaching clients and running my programs. And then on my consultancy side, it's having conversations with great potential clients and then, you know, doing the work. And now that I know that there's really, you know, four or five things that I have to show up for, then I know, okay, well, every week or every two weeks, I need to make sure that I'm showing up for conversations with potential clients and, you know, doing the work. And so what I've done is I've actually taken my calendar and said, okay, 
on Mondays, I work on this for my marketing and, you know, and that's what I do to make sure that I'm, I'm connecting to great people on my email list on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I do my coaching work with clients on Thursdays, you know, I do. And so I actually section up my time and I know very, very clearly what has to get done so that I don't have to invent it every time I sit down. And so I'm, I'm spent, I'm, I'm not wasting my, my decision-making energy on what should I do every day. I spend my decision-making energy on doing great creative work and getting breakthroughs for my coaching clients. So, Oh my goodness, you are going to be my prioritization role model kind of person going forward because just a total aside, about a month or so ago, I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose You were when you were talking about, oh, well, you got to attend these 201 things and you got to be here and you're going to be there and all these platforms. And I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. I'm going to be listening to this portion of our conversation over and over to kind of pick some, yeah. <laughs> some well, tips. If I might add one, one more um, thought about this. So it, it's so business owners realize that they... They have they can't outsource structure to their boss. That's what someone once once framed it that you when you work with someone else you don't have to like the accountability and structure you actually get to outsource that to someone else and business owners have to insource that. But even when you work when you work for someone else when you're an employee, um, I find that there's a lot of ways that we give up ownership over our time. You know, we the meeting always happens at this time even though that's actually your best time to work or one of the things that women who I work with, who I coach struggle with is um, women sometimes struggle with setting boundaries around their time. And so I've worked with more than one woman who gets, um, who's always on call for the, for the women, for the people who they're, they're, uh, they're uh, managing. And so it's like, they need to get their work done, but then all day, every day, someone's coming up to them and saying, oh, hey, I don't know how to do this. Or how should I talk to my contractor about this? And so one of the things that I suggest to the women who I work with is to develop, just like I do, a like a, a kind of ideal calendar and, you know, say to your, the people who you're working with, great, you know, the, this afternoon is my office hours. This is when you can come to me with any issues that you're having on the project. And it means that your direct reports do a better job of of being prepared and they have to anticipate and think ahead which actually makes them do a better job because they're not kind of leaning on you to do to be, do the work that they should be responsible for and i find that it allows you to have that uncluttered time and i also find by the way that if you're job seeking it's the same exact thing because it's 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 like you, this isn't going to move forward, right? You're not going to have the informational interviews that you need to have or apply for the jobs that you need to apply for unless you've gotten really clear that I need to have this many inter informational interviews a week or reach out to this many people per week. And I also have a space on my calendar, which is my ongoing appointment with myself where I show up to pay, I show up to be there for my future because otherwise I'm just going to get stuck in the position that I'm in and maybe a job will come along for me, but will it really be what I wanted or will it just be like a slightly better version than what I have right now? I you know? love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Switching gears a little bit, um, you are, you have been working a lot with women, with creative women, professional women. And I was just wondering whether with all the work that you've done, whether you've noticed uh, any particular patterns of challenges maybe uh, maybe particular to women where we get stuck or where we have to get out of our own kind of way kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's an amazing question. So there, there's kind of two big patterns that I see women get stuck in. And one of them is about, um, I would say, one of them is about saying no more. And the other is about saying yes more. And it sounds like it's funny. I'm like, say no, say yes, say no, say yes, do both. But but there's actually very specific ways that we should say no and say yes more. So when I first started doing my coaching and training work, I just thought that women were going to walk in and I would, you know, help them play bigger. And that was what we we're going to do. And great. Um, but it turns out that you can't play bigger unless you actually clear up the space to play bigger. And so I found that I ha- one of the first things that I have to do is help women clear up that space in order to to kind of then go for their dreams. And so one of the things that women tend to do more than men is we get stuck with what I call both office housework, right, and ho- home housework. So we actually know, and um, there we know that um, women still tend to do, uh, women in heterosexual relationships um, still tend to do a greater proportion of housework than their male partners. Um, there's actually a study that, um, uh, and I can't remember what context it was in, like if it was in the U.S. or another country, but it found that as women in um, in uh, heterosexual households started to have their salary increase and their increase their their salary started to eclipse that of their husbands, um, behavioral economists would think that they would therefore do a smaller percentage of housework. But actually, what happens is because they're bringing in more more resources into the household. But what actually happens is they do more housework because they have these. Yeah, it's it's totally it. It actually makes me angry every time I think about it. But they feel guilty about this identity shift in relation to their husbands. And so they try to make it up through doing more housework instead of less. So yeah, right. (laughs) It's just crazy. And we also, I also find anecdotally that women tend to do more office housework than men. So, um, sometimes when I'm giving a, a workshop, I'll say, you know, we tend to find that women are ge- being given these, these uh, more administration roles on their projects. So you might be a member of a project team, but for whatever reason, you're the one who's always writing the project notes. And what happens, and I see so many women like nod their head, they're like, yeah, why does that happen? Or why am I the one who always buys the, bir- you know, the birthday card? And, you know, there, so it's, it's kind of this, this emotional labor, which is what, um, which is what social psychologists call it and sociologists call it, or, you know, I, I just kind of think of it as office housework that we tend to, women tend to both volunteer for and also be put in positions where they do more than their fair share. And so it's hard to wiggle out of doing office, office and home housework because there's actually something called the, the gender discount theory that Sheryl Sandberg talks about in her book that, um, is shown in, in, um, research in studies that, when we ask women to do a favor, right, write the project meeting notes, oh, would you mind, you know, our, our, the server's a mess, like we need someone to clean it up. When we ask women to take on an extra task, and she says yes, you know, we're like, great, because we kind of expected her to do it because we see women as the nurturers, the caretakers, the household support. Um, and if, she, and if she says no, we're like, oh, you know, I kind of expected her to say yes. But then when we, we ask men, if they say yes, we're like, wow, that's so nice of him. And so we, he kind of goes up in our minds. And if he says no, we're like, well, he's busy. So women can kind of only fail or stay neutral and men can only stay neutral or benefit. And so what women need to do is not only recognize that, oh, I might be doing more than my fair share, but then they have to find a way to renegotiate out of it so that they don't end up 
kind of getting subtly punished for it. And so it, it, it takes work to kind of clear up that space. So it might be about saying, you know, for, for the office hours as example, you know, instead of saying like, hey, I need my uninterrupted time so I can do my work. Instead, you say, you know, I just know that I really want to be on for you and be totally present when you come to me with your issues so that I can give you my full attention. And I know that it'll help you become a better project manager for you to know that there's this cadence and this rhythm to when you can get your questions answered. Because a lot of the time I know you'll be able to figure it out on your own. So then it's like, oh, I'm doing this for you instead of I'm doing this for me. And we can do similar things when it comes to office housework or home housework. And it also means upholding the boundaries. So when someone says, oh, you know, you fold the laundry so much better or, you know, they fold the laundry and they do it terribly. It's saying, you know, it's so important for us to set an example for our kids that anyone can do anything in the household. So let's go over instead of like, oh, it's so much work. I'll just take it like to train this person. Let me just take it back. You say, Let's talk about like what's an okay standard for our household, and then I'm happy to help you figure out how you can take it over and have it really be in your in your in your um yeah in your wheelhouse, you know. And it's it's about it's like when we're hiring someone, right? It's like the worst time is when we have to go find that person and when we have to train them up. But once we train them up, then we know that all like it's the reason we hired them in the first place, which is we actually have this new capacity that we can then reallocate to to finding our dreams and to saying yes to things. So that that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And I can totally relate. I remember when I was um, earlier in my career, every time I attended a meeting, they would ask me to take the notes. Oh. And and then um, one time I said something and somebody said, well, because you do you do it well. Or you know mm. you take you take good notes and then you summarize them well and then you you, you do a good job, and so then I mentioned it to um, another female person who was several um, levels above me, and then she said, you know what, next time you attend a meeting, don't bring a pen, right? And I didn't, and it was so I felt so subconscious that I I literally walked into the meeting deliberately not without without a pen and when they yeah. said Lou when they looked at me and I said I have no pen that was the last time they ever asked me I think they they wow. kind of the like they kind of heard the the you know my my thing loud and clear but it was very I felt very awkward doing that and if I yeah. if, if if I only did it because the person who told me which happened to be another female manager level person was somebody that I actually really admired and so I said to myself if she was telling me this then it's okay to, to maybe do it but I felt really guilty to your point when when we don't do it then we feel guilty that we're not doing it um so yes I could totally relate the other thing though that I wanted to ask you uh was about the saying yes is it a case of we're not saying because I think sometimes I'm not saying yes to the right things. So for example, when I was in my corporate job, that I wasn't saying yes to the right, I wasn't saying enough, yes, enough times as compared to my male counterparts. So yeah. what's going on in my head is not ready yet. Or, yeah. yes. you know, like that. Whereas, whereas a male counterpart might say yes, even though he may not have experience, but he'd be willing to take charge or try it out. Yeah. Yeah, it, your 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 fingers on the button. That's exactly what's happening, and it happens. It happens. I think it happens at two levels. So it happens. Number one, when we are not saying yes to opportunities that 
explicitly come our way, um, or that maybe we could kind of see. And I just experienced this directly myself where I am on a nomination board for a local, a local organization. And so we come up with names of people to run for the board and then we have to go out and ask them to run. And so I had three people on my list and this is anecdotal, but I had one man and two women on my list. No, three women on my list. No, no, sorry. Two women on my list. So, um, both women who I called, well, first of all, I called, when I called the man, I was like, Hey, here's this board. He was like, I like told him like maybe three words about it. And he was like, I was like, your name came up as a great candidate. And he's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. You know? Yeah. I'd love to do that. Like maybe he asked one question, but like he didn't dive that deep. The two women, one of them, one of them said, you know, I don't know, I might be too busy. Da, da, da. And if you're too busy, right. Cause we're afraid of, sometimes you're too, we're afraid of disappointing people. Sometimes that fear of busyness is just about like, what if I can't do it perfectly? And that's not a good reason to say no. Um, you're too busy is, is a legitimate reason to say no, but you really have to understand what's behind too busy. And if you're getting this opportunity, it's also an opportunity for you to say, Hey, like for her, you know, she, it's a great opportunity. Um, it looks good on her, on her CV and her company's CV, right? So she can say, I've got this new opportunity. I know it's going to take some time. I'd like on my next project to have, you know, instead of half a junior staff member, two junior staff members, right? It's an opportunity to ask for more resources. Um, but the second one said, the second woman who I asked said, oh, I looked at the job description. I don't know if I could do it. Da, 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 da. And that I just, you know, she was actually a former coaching student. I just, I, I said, listen, I know you, so I'm going to say this. I don't think that's an acceptable answer. If we proposed you, that means we think you can do it. And this is knowing what you know, because I've worked with you, knowing how you're trying to build your platform and knowing all of these things. Like, I just kind of want to like put the mirror up to your face and say, why are you saying no? And maybe this is your opportunity to lean in. So yeah, like stop over preparing, stop feeling like you have to be perfect before you take that first foot forward, because that is how you slow down your growth instead of accelerating your growth. I suspect that we don't often catch ourselves when it's happening that we're saying no to to the wrong things or we're saying we're not saying yes to the right things or whatever and in that particular example you happen to be there to catch her and go hey yeah why, why are you saying no right and so i was wondering if you wouldn't mind like is there something that we can do to and i, I don't know if this is possible but is there are there things that we can do to catch ourselves when there isn't a maya to <laughs> to tell us what's going on. Yeah, I think every time we say no or we're hesitant, we hesitate to say no or sorry, think we're about to say no, we can stop and I think we can actually use other people in our lives whether that's our partners or good friends. I have an accountability partner, a business wing woman, I call her. Um and we can say, "Should I take this on? Here's my hesitations. Um what do you think?" and we actually take the decision out of our heads and so um we then have to go through a more explicit decision-making process around it. And I just, honestly, that's the easiest way to do it um, is just build a trigger in when you're about to say no, say, okay, I'm going to, here's who I'm going to talk about it with. I think the second thing we can do is we can be always proactively looking for what we want to say yes to. So I, um, you know, I always like to have women have something that's their kind of like their North star or their next growth opportunity. Um, you know, for me, when I think about growing the profile of my business, like there's certain conferences that I want to speak at, or, um, 
you know, I, like uh, I would love, it's like an image I have in my head of like, this is the kind of opportunity that I want. And knowing what that is, it means that I can then remember to kind of put the word out. So do, do this pitching. So recently, um, I had an opportunity where I found out that one of my my clients had spoken at an organization that I want that is kind of maybe not a dream dream organization, but is like a organization I really want to speak at. And so I was like, great, because I have this North Star of that's what I want to do. I asked her to write an introduction for me if she'd be willing to. And she was like, sure. And so now like I'm on their agenda. And it's just I think you kind of have to walk around with what is that next level for you, because then things show up in your life that are our precursors to right, that. Right, that is awesome. Thank you for that. You know what? I I can talk to you for hours. <laughs> me too. Me too. Just a couple more questions, Maya, if you don't mind. One is uh, something that I I ask um, all of my guests is that you know is there a book, fiction, nonfiction, that has uh, made an impact on you that you wouldn't mind recommending? Yeah, I really love the book um, "Playing Big" by Tara Moore. It was um, you know Tara Moore. Brene Brown, who wrote the book Daring Greatly, and then Sheryl Sandberg, I kind of think of them as the patron saints of my of my um, of my workshop and my work. Um, I just think it's an amazing book. It's written for women, but I would say that men can get a lot out of it too. Um, she just she kind of that, that idea of like developing your north star, always knowing what your next level is, like thinking about about and then kind of being on on the lookout for it there's a lot of great resources in that book for how you can do that in your life perfect i have been under a cave i in a cave i haven't heard of that book i've read daring greatly and i've read cheryl sandberg's um lean in but i haven't heard of playing big so that's definitely gonna get added to my list and so and then finally where can people find you online yeah, so people can find me on my website. And if um, you want to get my through lines exercise, so if you, especially if you are in a position where you are job seeking or you're kind of plateauing in your career or your business, and you kind of know that you need to fit, you, you know that if you could figure out where you wanted to go, then you'd just be able to kind of get there, but you're not quite sure which direction to go. I really, really recommend um, doing this through lines exercise. So you can download it at Build Yourself Workshop dot com backslash second breaks and if you sign up for it you'll get access to the um to the to the exercise and you'll also get access to my resources on how to set more ambitious and creative goals that actually start with you and who you are and how to um how to um I do a lot of work around building your profile because it's one of the best strategies that women can use. Um, for accelerating their career. And it's a really, really important thing to do if you're looking for a job or looking for a new opportunity. So that's the best place I would send people to find me. Um, but you can find me on my, my website, my general website as well. Um, you can also find out, um, I have, um, I run a few programs and one of the programs I'm always running is a coaching program where I work with women, um, first one-on-one and then through a group process where if there's a specific issue or challenge you're facing in your career, um, we kind of dive, whether it's, you know, finding a new job or um, getting to that next level, we dive deep and I help you do that work so that you can figure out what's next for you. And then we have an accountability sprint. So you can actually, you know, it's like you've got your calendar and you can show up to do the work week after week. So you can find out um, about that on my website. And I'm on um, Twitter. Um, 
Maya at Maya Sharfi and Instagram. So I just, if this resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out. Super. Well, this has been great, Maya. So thank you so much for、um, joining me today for 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 coming over. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been super fun. I hope you found this episode useful, my friend. The show notes for today's episode, where you can find the link to the Vision That Counts workshop. Is secondbreaks.com forward slash episode six one. Do check out the workshop details. I want to see you on September thirteenth, so that you can create your big picture that you can finally really get pumped out about and get really excited to work on it for the rest of the year and into twenty nineteen. If you have any questions about today's episode or just have thoughts you want to share with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave your comments on the show notes. Or you can email me Lou at secondbreaks.com. Did you enjoy this episode, my friend? If so, I would so appreciate it if you would leave me your feedback on iTunes. You will be helping me out a ton by giving me a rating and review. And if you're not sure how to do it, you can get the step-by-step instructions at you guessed it. Back to the show notes, secondbreaks.com/episode61. That's really the bible for today's episode. Secondbreaks.com/episode61. And are you subscribed yet, my friend, to the podcast? This is a good time to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, so you never have to miss future episodes. Look, I show up every Thursday. Every Thursday, there's a new episode for you, and it would be so great if you show up too. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I so appreciate you being here. It means so much to me that we can get to chat this way, and that I get to share, or at least spend a little bit of your day with you. I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. In the meanwhile, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. <laughs>